verse 42, the signs of a healthy church. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. What are the signs of a healthy church? They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them all, as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. It is very easy for a church to get out of balance, to emphasize church health so much that it does not emphasize growth, to emphasize church growth and to not emphasize health. Just like in the days of Constantine when religion became official, Christianity was the official religion, and they baptized pagans and swept hundreds of thousands of people into the church. So many churches sometimes baptize people who have not been converted and show no sign to the fruit of repentance. We had an interesting discussion at the large church roundtable this past week, week before last, about how different churches were accepting people into membership. There are about 30 pastors there. All of them pastor churches between 1,000 and 3,000 in, in uh, Sunday school. And, and so we were having a discussion, how does your church accept members? And so we got into this interesting discussion. There's one guy there that's always, he, he's an interesting guy. He's a funny guy, and I like him. But he says, you know, he said, we don't have any, sh- any membership requirements except baptism. All I got to do is be baptized. Dip them, dunk them, plunge them, do whatever you got to do. Just get them into baptistry water. And after that, we talk to them about membership. Don't think there's anything in the Bible about being a member of a church except being saved, being baptized. That's all we ought to do. Shouldn't require anything of anybody except being baptized, being dunked, being saved. Just get them in the water. And so we just, okay, I mean, he just went off, you know, and so we just kind of sat there. So the next day I'm playing golf with a friend of mine who pastors down in Florida, and uh, <clears throat> we were playing with, with uh, two other guys, and Andy Chrisman was playing with us. And, and, and so we're on a par three, and all four of us hit our balls in the water. I don't think any of us had a quiet time that morning. I'm not sure, but all four of us hit our, hit our golf balls in the water, and so... I was walking up to the side of the water, and I said, you know, I said, I think mine's in the bank. I think it's just there in the mud. I, I, I don't think my ball's in the water. And Richard said, well, muddy or wet, John will take him. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's important that we understand church health. It's always an interesting question to ask somebody who talks about running three or four or five or six thousand in Sunday school. How many do you have back on Sunday night? I have one friend that I have that runs 9,000 on Sunday morning. They don't have church on Sunday night. They couldn't get a hundred people to come back. When I suggested to him that his church was 20 miles wide and inch deep, He didn't appreciate that. 
But if you can't get people to come but one hour a week, I'm convinced you may have a big church, but you don't have a healthy church. And church health is decided by the level of commitment of people in various areas of the church life. And most churches fall short of this New Testament model. If there's a passage that models for us what a New Testament church looks like, it's this passage. God blessed this church. God used this church. God empowered this church. They had fellowship, verse 42. Fellowship, by the way, wasn't a social after church like we're going to have. Uh, By the way, we define fellowship as, you know, when I was growing up, this is just a just a thought. Don't anybody get mad. I don't need any emails and I don't need any phone calls. When I was growing up, if, my, if I as an eight-year-old ran to the front of the line and ran over senior adults to get the food before the adults did, my daddy put a whooping on me. Now, moms and dads, the food line when I was growing up was for adults and we helped the kids. The kids didn't throw half the food on the floor beating the adults in there. Just a thought for the fellowship tonight. Just a thought. (laughs) I don't know if there's anywhere in the Bible where it says teach your kids manners, but I think you ought to. And I think it wouldn't hurt some of our kids to have better manners. And by the way, kids, when you get through eating, put your own plate away. Don't leave it for somebody else to do. That didn't have anything to do with a healthy church, but it made me feel so much better to say that. (laughs) Some kids going, man, the beanie weenies will be gone by the time I get there. (laughs) Verse 42, the word fellowship is the word koinonia. It means to have in common. Ann Ortland said, every congregation has a choice to be one of two things. You can choose to be a bag of marbles, single units that don't affect each other except in collision, or you can choose to be a bag of grapes. The juices mingle, and each is a part of all. Now, there are about four or five points here, so I want to move through them fairly quickly. Number one, a healthy church is made up of faithful people. Now, in verse 38 of chapter 2, Peter had said, repent and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. By the way, did you know that a study has been done of Baptist churches in America and 50% of people who join a Baptist church never come back again after the day they join? 50%. Never come back again after the day they join. Membership should mean something, and membership should mean faithfulness to the local church. In verse 42, they continually devoted themselves. That word carries the idea of being single-minded and steadfast. Verse 44, they had all things in common. Verse 46, they continued with one mind. Now think about this church. They had 120 members, little bitty small church, you know, college church. You know what a college church is, don't you? College Church is a small church where the, the dog is friendly to the family but barks at strangers. You know, a little friendly church. You know, we all know each other. We all get along. We all got our favorite seats. And all of a sudden, 3,000 people come in in one day. Boy, you want to talk about 120 feeling overwhelmed. But they didn't feel resentment. They didn't feel animosity. They had one mind. 
And 3,120 gathered and devoted themselves and shared all things in common. And there wasn't that, well, we were here before you. Well, I've been here longer than you have. Well, God, 10 days. <laughs> they had all things in common. They were faithful. Now, today, we describe faithfulness in Southern Baptist life as anybody that comes to church 38 Sundays out of the year. That's, a, that's labeled as a faithful member. We have the first and third crowd, and we have the second and fourth crowd, and those of you who teach Bible study know what I'm talking about, especially you've got folks that come on the first and third, and folks that come on the second and fourth, and then we have the Easter lily crowd and the Christmas poinsettia crowd, and, you know, if we get them all here at the same time, we'd have to go into overflow. But there's this lack of faithfulness. We've got the beg-to-be-excused crowd. I just beg to beg. I can't come. We've got the too-tired-to-make-it-back crowd. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, Only he who believes is obedient, and only he who is obedient believes. You see, their faith and their works were tied together, not for salvation, but because of salvation. And if you look at the faithfulness, they were, there was faithfulness as their business, their way of life, and there was faithfulness as God's business. God was faithful to them, and because they were faithful, God was faithful, and there was fruitfulness. Faithfulness always results in fruitfulness. A faithful church will bear fruit. There will be a harvest, and there will be a yielding. Vance Havner said, the plight of the churches shows up not only in creed, but in conduct. The sermon on Sunday is denied by the way most church members live all week. The greatest scandal of Christianity is the low grade of Christian living. There are more professing Christians than ever, but the quality does not keep up with the quantity. We are not improving the sort while we increase the size. We are many, but we are not much. Now he spoke those words over 50 years ago. They are more true today than the day he spoke them. Secondly, not only is a healthy church made up of faithful people, but a healthy church is made up of available people. These people were available. They served and they gave and they shared. They had all things in common. It seems that their attitude is, what can I do? How can I help? Where can I serve? They were saved and they hadn't gotten over it. Why were they that way? I have some ideas. I think they were that way because they had listened to the apostles' teaching. Maybe some of them had been exposed to the life of Jesus, and they saw how Jesus cared for people. You see, when I look out here, it's easy for me to just see a crowd. But Jesus could look at a crowd and see individuals. He could see the one with the need in the crowd. He could see the lame person in the crowd. He could see the hurting person in the crowd. And Jesus was never so consumed with the crowd that he forgot the one. And I think the disciples taught that, and they remembered that, and they remembered what they had seen Jesus doing. I, remember, I think they remembered how Jesus said, if you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. And they were available. They looked for ways to be available. They sold their possessions. They went house to house. They, they did things for one another. Have you noticed how many time-saving devices you have in your house? I mean, you know, we've got 
I remember when Jetta Vadu was here years ago, and they're pastors in Romania, and, and Terry took Jetta with her shopping one day, and, and they went through the drive-thru to get to cleaning, and they went through the drive-thru to, to get a Coke at Burger King, and they, and they went through the drive-thru, the ATM, to get money out of the bank, and, and Jetta turned to Terry and said, do you people ever get out of your cars? You know, we've got microwaves and we've got blenders and we've got coffee machines that come on before we even get up. We've got all these time-saving devices. We've got more time-saving devices than we've ever had in the history of mankind. More technology. But when you ask somebody to do something in church, the first thing out of their mouth is, I don't have time. Why? Because we're busy doing the wrong things. If I were to describe these people in one word, it would be available. They were available. Verse 46, sincerity of heart. That word sincerity means single-minded or absence of pretense. It, it implies a generous spirit. And you and I can be busy, but are we busy doing the right things? The things that God wants us to be about. Because we can busy, be busy being, doing good things and not be doing God's thing. Listen to these words from Scripture. 1 Thessalonians 1, 2. We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father. Now, by 1 Thessalonians 1, 2, and 3, write Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, where Jesus speaks to the church at Ephesus. And He says, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance, that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. But I have this against you that you have left your first love. Now, compare those two churches. The Thessalonians were commended and applauded for their work, for their labor, and their steadfastness. The Ephesians were noted for their work and their labor and their perseverance, but they were rebuked because of their lack of love. Love was an operative word in Acts chapter 2. It was an operative word in Thessalonica and 1 Thessalonians. It was an inoperative word in Revelation chapter 2. If you're busy, but you're not doing it out of love for God, you're busy doing the wrong things in the wrong way. And God can't bless that work. Their work was a result of faith based on love and built on hope. That's why God applauded them. That's why Paul wrote these letters down. Now, both churches were busy. But one was busy doing the right thing with the right spirit. We need to be busy about the work of the kingdom. But not busyness. We need to be busy about the Father's business what He has left us here to do, and be available to Him for whatever He calls us to do. Number three, the healthy church is made up of teachable people. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I remember when Layman Strauss was here, 
And he would come and preach and do Bible conferences. I remember one of the first times, I think it was in 1990 when, when he came, the first time when I was pastor. He'd been here a number of times before that when Brother Billy was here. And, and uh, I, re I remember looking at his Bible, and he had this black leather-bound Bible and inscribed on it in big letters. Some of you may remember seeing this. It, said, it didn't say Holy Bible. It didn't say Bible. It said on the front, he had had the cover put on that Bible, and he had it on the front of it in one-inch letters, God's Word for Layman Strauss. So that every time he picked up his Bible, and I asked him about that, so why did you do that? He said, because every time I pick up my Bible and I see God's Word for Layman Strauss, what I think about is God wants to speak to me today. God wants to speak to me today. Why was he such a great teacher of the Bible? He was a great teacher of the Bible because he was a student of the Bible, and not only a student of the Bible, he was teachable. He wasn't just trying to gain knowledge, he was trying to learn the ways and the heart of God. He was committed to the Word, and that's what this church was. They were committed to the Word. They were committed to the apostles' teachings. And I tell you, one of the great things that God has done to sustain this church through the years has been our Bible conferences that we do. And for people to come and to not have to be begged and twisted and manipulated to come and be a part of sitting from a Sunday through a Wednesday in a Bible conference. We've got a big one coming in September. And we're going to do something we have never done in a Bible conference. We're going to have conferences all during the morning as well as a noon worship service and in the evening. When we talk about our conference on revival, we're going to do a lot of things in the morning. There are going to be dozens of classes that are going to be going on during that time. And as I asked you before, I'm going to ask you to take that date and take those days as vacation, take those days as off days, and come and invest your time for those four days in the life of this church to minister. We're inviting 150 pastors to come and be with us that day. Many of them are beaten up. Many of them are hurting. Many of them are in tough situations and we want to be a church that ministers to them and comes alongside them and helps them while at the same time we're being ministered to. So mark it down. It's coming in September. Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. When H.A. Ironside was dying, the great Bible teacher of another generation, he was blind and he was laying in his bed. He could no longer read the scriptures. And one night before he died, he held his Bible up and he said, I wish I had read this book more and other books less. Ezra the prophet in Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10 said, Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. A verse you're familiar with, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, accurately, accurately handling 
the word of truth. All Scripture, not just the parts that you understand. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. How do I live this life? I become teachable so that God can teach me and adequately equip me for every good work that He has for me to do. The word is described as milk, as meat, as bread, and as honey. Makes a pretty good meal. The question we have to ask ourselves is, are we hungry for it? Number four, a healthy church is made up of worshiping people. They were praising God. Now, they were doing this in several ways. They were worshiping, they were praising God, but they were also doing it by sharing the Lord's Supper. Remember what they had done. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. Paul says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. They were praising God. They were worshiping God. Just as the death angel had passed over Egypt and those that had been under the blood were delivered. So they had been delivered by the blood of Jesus and they were celebrating and worshiping God for what He had done for them. Now I read an interesting study this week that said that most people born before 1946 like their worship more meditative and more liturgical and more quiet. Those born after 1946, in other words, baby boomers, people came home from the war and had a lot of kids, from 1946 on, we're more inclined to be more celebrative in our worship. Whichever style somebody likes doesn't matter to me. I just want there to be life in whatever they like. There is nothing worse than dead worship. Does everybody agree with that? I mean, how many times have you turned on television and watched a service, and I don't care if it's a charismatic service or a liturgical service, and they go to a shot of the crowd and somebody's standing there doing this. <laughs> or somebody's singing... I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today, and they sing it, and they look like he's dead. Sing for joy, and it looks like they've been sucking lemons all day. I'm amazed that I've watched Easter crowds sing because he lives, and they look like they're in a line, a receiving line at a funeral home. We should have the most celebrative expressions that we can have because we do serve a risen Savior. And He's in our hearts and He's in our lives and we have reason to celebrate what He's done for us. I don't care if it's a quiet song or an upbeat song. I don't care what the extreme or the style is. We should celebrate what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. And this church was praising God. William Temple said, to worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open the heart to the love of God, and to devote the will to the purpose of God. Now, there are three characteristics of their worship. First of all, prayer. Their worship was characterized by prayer. In fact, there's a definite article there, the prayer. 
There were specific things. They, were, they weren't just talking about God or talking about prayer. They were praying. Secondly was proclamation. Proclamation. They were studying what the apostles were saying. They were looking back at the Old Testament and seeing the fulfillment of God's Word for Messiah. And then there was praise in verse 47. Now let me just give you a, a lot of references here because they're great. You can't miss these. Nehemiah 18, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Philippians 4, 4, Paul wrote this to a Baptist church because he had to say it twice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Now you know why he had to command us to rejoice? Because by nature we want to whine and pout. Even the Philippians who were a church full of joy, had to be reminded, rejoice. Don't forget to rejoice. Not when you feel like it. Always. Deuteronomy 10, 21. He is your praise and He is your God who has done these great and awesome things for you which your eyes have seen. Judges 5, 3. Hear, O kings, Give ear, O rulers, to the Lord I will sing. I will sing praises to the Lord, the God of Israel. First Chronicles 16, 8. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples. Sing to Him. Sing praises to Him. Sing of all His wonders. Glory in His holy name. And let the heart of those who seek Him be glad. Second Chronicles 5, 13. In unison, when the trumpeters and the singers were to make themselves heard with one voice to praise and to glorify God. And when they lifted up their voice accompanied by trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music. And when they praised the Lord saying, He indeed is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. Then, then, trumpeters, singers, then the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. God inhabits praise. He loves the praise of His people. Psalm 33 and verse 1. Sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones. Praise is becoming the upright. Psalm 40 and verse 3, He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and trust in the Lord. Psalm 67 and verse 3, Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Psalm 119 and verse 164, Seven times a day I praise you because of your righteous ordinances. Isaiah 12 and verse 5, Praise the Lord in song, for He has done excellent things. Let this be known throughout the earth. Cry aloud and shout for joy, inhabitants of Zion, for the great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Revelation 19, 5, And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you His bondservants, you who fear Him, the small and the great. 228 times the word praise is mentioned in the Bible. Now anything that God mentions that many times, we ought to do. 
So when we get to the invitation, Mark, we're going to do a Danette song. Is she here? She's still here. We're going to do that again. Because one of the things the psalmist did is he praised God in the midst of his adversity. Not just when he was on top of the mountain. When he needed help. So we're going to sing that for our invitation. Okay, so I'm just I'm giving everybody a warning so you can panically look for your music that you put down. All right? Number five. The healthy church is made up of people with a servant spirit. Verse 44, the last part. They had all things in common. Verse 45, selling their possessions and sharing them with all. Now they did two things here. First of all, they served other believers. They served other believers. One of the things that I think makes this church great and makes this church healthy is when there's a crisis in this church, when there is a situation in this church, people gather and people come and... and uh, Bear with me, one of the comments, and this is something we give praise to God for, but one of the comments from people who are going through crisis and through grief and through loss, one of the things that we hear more than anything else is, I cannot believe how many people have brought food, have come over, have helped, have volunteered. You know what that is? That's the church being the church. That's the church being the church. Do you know who does the best job of pastoral care in this church? You do. They pay us to come. You come for nothing. Now that's good. Listen, there's nothing you can do more for people than when they are hurting and when they are in need, you reach out to them and you help them. Because then it's not tied to a preacher or to a minister or to a staff. It's the body functioning the way the body is supposed to function, taking care of one another. And if your Sunday school class doesn't do that, we've got some that do. Go join it. <laughs> but you see, they cared for one another. They had a whatever-it-takes attitude. I've never heard anybody in this church, and I've heard the phone calls from time to time, I've never heard anybody in this church that's been called to say, could you take food to this house? Could you go help with this situation? Say, no, I don't have time. It's always, we'll be glad to. And it's always more than is expected. Why? Because God has put it in our hearts for other believers. But they not only cared for other believers, they cared for unbelievers. Because look, they had favor with all the people. They had favor with all the people. They were serving others and they were serving the Lord. Don't ever underestimate the gift of hospitality. Don't ever underestimate the spiritual fruit of kindness. Don't underestimate those. Don't ever underestimate what God can do by serving other people. I think Ross Powell has now been at the dray line four years. Ross, are you in here? Or is he? He went to Atlanta. Okay. Six years. Haven't missed a Thursday serving the homeless men on the dray line. Now that's pretty good for a church that the paper wrote about 20 years ago that we were a country club church. Any of y'all remember seeing that article in the paper 20 years ago? Sherwood Baptist Church, Country Club Church Building, Family Life Center, all that kind of stuff. You know, there are about 200 churches in this area. And for six years, we've never missed a Thursday taking sausage biscuits. Why? 
because some people in our church get up at about 4 o'clock in the morning and go and they cook those things and they take them. Why do we do that? We don't call the newspaper. We don't call WAOB. We don't call Fox and say, hey, y'all need to come down and do a story. We're, we're helping homeless people. Do it because it's right to do. You find favor with all people. One of the things we're going to do in the weeks ahead is I'm going to invite some people in the community. I'm going to invite uh, the head of our school board for Darty County, and I'm going to invite our mayor, and I'm going to invite them to come on a Sunday night and to stand at this pulpit and to tell us how we can pray for them. Now, I hope they know they need prayer. I think they do. But you know, what I want to know is not just say, hey, we're praying for you. How can we pray for you? How can we help you? Why? That's a sign to believers and to unbelievers. To go outside your box, to go outside your comfort zone, to do the little more, the little something extra, the and then some, those things bear witness. And they found favor with all the people, not just the people inside the church, but the community began to notice that these people were going from house to house and ministering to others. What a great testimony for a church to have. You see, it doesn't matter if we have the biggest this or the biggest that. If we don't have the biggest heart, we're not the church we're supposed to be. It doesn't matter the size of our facilities. It matters the size of our heart that we care about hurting people and people in need. That's why we want to be a praying church, so that when people have needs and when people have crisis, that's why we call 10,000 homes every year to say, we're praying for you. Why do we do that? We call for one reason. When they're in a crisis and when they're hurting, they'll remember that one church called them to pray for them. One church did it. By the way, Gary Miller had some houses called it. Uh, he's on staff at First Baptist Euless, and those of you who know Gary, uh, they've asked him to come on full-time on his staff this past week, and it looks like he's going to do that, which is a big answered prayer for Gary and, and for us and those of us who have been praying for him. But he had, they called like 8,000 homes and said, would you ever consider coming to our church? And guess what happened? Just by calling homes and inviting them, they had a hundred and something people that said, yeah, we'd consider coming to your church. And they had over 60 of them that showed up on a Sunday when there was a 20 mile an hour wind and it was about 28 degrees. And they showed up. You know why? Because somebody called some people that lived in apartment complexes that have no solicitation signs on them and said, hey, we care about you. Would you ever be interested in coming to our church? Do you have a church home? Could we send you some material? And you know what they did? They, they, get, they sent them a special parking thing to hang in their windshield so that the people on the parking lot could tell where the guests were coming. And they gave them the front row parking places. And they gave them lunch afterwards. And they came in and they were met by the greeters and they were taken in. And they had hosts and hostess to meet them. And they lined them up. And, they, and they, those people never were alone. They never walked around the building going, this is a big place. Where in the world am I? Caring for people. This world is full of lonely, 
bored people that just need to know somebody cares. They were a church made up of people with a servant spirit. The result was people were blessed and people were saved. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. The word means reverence. These people came face to face with the living word of God. They came face to face with the living Lord Jesus and they were never the same. There was a sense of awe that God was doing this in the midst of their church. My prayer for this church for this year, my prayer for this church is that when we walk into this place, when we walk on these grounds, when we drive by this facility, that there is a sense of awe of what God is doing here. I think too often we take for granted what God is doing here. I think too often we just believe that we're entitled to it. There needs to always be a sense of awe that we've gotten saved and we've been blessed and we don't get over it. That God would choose of all places to show up here with His Spirit and with His presence. Oh, I know God's everywhere, and I know He's where two or three are gathered. There He is in the midst of them. But I know that God shows up in special ways where He's wanted and where He's welcomed. And so we're going to sing, Mark. If you need to come and respond during an invitation time, if you need to come and pray, if this song has something that's touched your heart today, then I'm going to ask you to come. But I want to ask you, to, as, as you're singing, and as we're singing together on this song, I'm going to ask you, as you're, even as you're doing that, you can do this, to pray that God would make us a very healthy church. Because a healthy church can fight disease, and it can fight decay and it can stand up to the wiles of the devil. And so you pray that God would make us healthy, that when trials and tests and tribulations come our way, that we are healthy enough to resist those things that attack and seek to destroy. Let's stand together and let's sing. Staff are here at the front. You come right now.
you in the name of Jesus to help us to be a body, a church, a family where people can come when they're hurting and that they'll hear the truth and know that the truth is spoken in love.
So help me to do that. Help us to hold a high standard and at the same time balance it with a tender heart. Help us to speak the truth in love. But help us to never be so busy that we can't see the one in need. Help us to function, Lord, as a body. A body of believers all sensitive and in tune with the head which directs our paths and gives us eyes to see and hands to touch and feet to move so that we can minister in your name to give a cup of cold water in your name to love in your name. We bless you for your great gift of the Holy Spirit who empowers a church to be different, not just a organization, but an organism alive with life and with hope for a hurting world. In Jesus' name, amen. Andy, come share with Pastor, tonight we have Jeremy Glover coming by letter from St. James Baptist Church in Spencer, Oklahoma. He is in the College of Career Sunday School class. He uh, serves in the orchestra, SOS, and on a faith team. And plays a mean saxophone. Plays a great saxophone. <laughs> and I'm excited you're here. And I, I appreciate your attitude, your spirit, how you use your talent for the Lord. And I pray that God will continue to bless you and use you. Uh, he's gifted you for a reason, and He's given you a purpose. And I pray that you will know that every day of your life. And I'm grateful that you're here and a part of this church family. God bless you. Pastor, this is Keith Beck coming by letter from Roswell Street Baptist Church. And he is also in the college and career. Uh, he's serving in the point and has a desire to work with students. Amen. Keith comes from my old stomping grounds. And I won't hold that against him, but uh, uh, he's good friends with Stephen and others. And Keith, I'm excited because I know you've got a heritage in the church and in the Word. And I know what God's put in your heart uh, to be used of Him. And God has led you here for this time and for this season in your life. And I believe He's going to use you in a significant way as you stay yielded to Him, humble before Him, asking Him to use you to be an example and a model and a witness to others. And that God, if you delight in Him, He's going to give you the desires of your heart. And I pray God's blessings on you. And they use you in a great way. You rejoice in these two men coming to be a part of this church family. Would you say praise God? Praise God. Amen. Amen. Oh, that's all right. You can do that. <laughs> Steve, I'm going to ask you and Becky to escort Tom and Pat and Keith and Jeremy over. Y'all get to go through the line first. Okay, just remember, there are a few of us coming behind you, okay? Don't hurt us now. <laughs> but they're going, to, they're going to go out, and then we're going to go over. Tom, we've got some seats reserved for y'all. and uh, So you go over, and we'll get you a plate and get you taken care of while we all greet you, all right? Are you glad you've been in God's house today? Amen. I'm glad to have been here with you and to rejoice with you about what God's doing in this place. We've got a wonderful fellowship. We've got some great food. Please go over and uh, take time to talk to Tom and Pat and thank them for 
being a part of this church family and uh, ask them to bring you a picture back from their trip when they get the leaves changing and everything else. And, and we look forward to hearing about their trip. But I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for your spirit and for your love and for your prayers and for your attendance on Sunday nights. And uh, you hold a very, very special place in my heart because you're faithful to being here on Sunday nights in God's house. And I pray that God richly blesses you this week. And if you have a good week, I pray that you'll bless him for it. And if you have a bad week, I pray that you'll know he's in the middle of it with you. But either way, I pray that you'll see the light of God's love and grace on your life this week. God bless you. Let's go to the Fellowship Center and fellowship with one another.